thank uh, Kendra and the other musicians for putting us in the mood for worship. I'm going to thank uh, Bob Potter and his illustrious associates <laughs> for the egg story. Well, lessons from an onion farmer. I just couldn't think of a more gripping title. I thought I could make it a little more risque for those of you who are older and remember this title. Uh, Everything you ever wanted to know about onion farming but were afraid to ask. I, I chose to talk about onion farming because I love onions. I like planting them. I like harvesting them. And I like eating them every day. Uh, but more important, the reason I chose onion farming is because it's not so close to who we are. It, we have more distance from onions. Those things which affect our character, those things which affect our identity, are harder to process. So I got just about as low as I could get on the scale. Lessons from an onion farmer. Four main lessons. If you want onions, that's number one. Plant onions. You know, if you think you're going to get squash, you, you're going to plant squash seeds and you think you're going to get onions, you, you're, you're, you're not just a little messed up. You're totally unplugged. Uh, I'm not a shrink, but I think I could help you at that level. If you want onions, you've got to plant onions. Principle number two. If you want a lot of onions, don't plant five. Okay? Plant three or four hundred. Ah, that's about my style. Lesson one, if you want onions, plant onions. Number two, if you want a bountiful harvest, plant lots of them. And lesson number three, if you plant onions, you will, in line with our theme, you will have an abundance of onions to harvest. I mean, just think of it. I mean, onion harvest is really exciting. Number one, you get the little green shoots. Oh, man, I can eat six or seven of those with every meal. Oh, man, they are good. They're sweet. And then a little later, in the spring, early summer, you get the little green bulbs, good for salads. And if you get it go long enough, you dry some for winter. But that's not all. Oh, man. Onions, you can harvest them all year long. If you, the ones you leave in the ground, they just multiply. You had one down there, you might have six in the same cluster next spring. 
Actually, I've eaten some of those out of my garden already this winter. Ah, you plant onions. You can harvest onions. And the last lesson, you can't expect to plant onions one time and expect to have them the rest of your life. You gotta plant them every year. Onion planting is an ongoing process. Now, I could stop right now, but I think I probably better go on. Let's get two Bible verses. One, Brian, Pastor Brian already read today, but let's go there. It's Second uh, Corinthians uh, chapter 9, verse uh, 6. In the Pew Bible, that's page 1162. 1162. Paul speaking here. The point is this. He who speaks sparingly will also reap sparingly. And he who sows bountifully or generously will also reap bountifully. Well, that's pretty good. If you want a big harvest, you better put in a big crop. But what does it mean to sow just a little bit and to sow a lot? I mean, let's Okay, I'll take this out of my back pocket. Here. I think, I think we'll be all right. Yeah, I'm not scared yet. <laughs> you know, what's a little bit for me might be a whole lot for somebody else. Somebody else, they may have a whole lot more than I have. So, bountifully. Okay, we'll just... Now I am starting to feel insecure. Yeah, that's good. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, sewing is not the same for everybody. Some people got more stuff. If you got more stuff, a little bit has a different meaning and a whole lot has a different meaning. So we give according to our ability, how God has already blessed us. That's how we give. But I have discovered a strange psychological fact that's almost, I think, universal. And I can understand it. It's more difficult for really rich people to give than really poor people. Think about it. Uh, just say, okay, okay, I've got 10 cents. That's about as poor as I can get right now. I've got 10 cents. So let's say I'm going to tithe it. 
How much is that? One cent. Oh, my. One cent, that's nothing. I give, give a cent. In fact, I think I'll even throw in an extra one for offerings. I mean, crying out loud, I got eight cents left. And I gave away nothing. Two cents. Well, that's easy. But if I got a thousand dollars, ten percent. That's I gotta think about this one. That 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 that, that, that that's a hundred dollars. You know? That's not something you just throw out. And if I want to give anything else, but let's just stick with a tithe. Okay, now let's up the ante. So I got a million bucks. Now I really get scary. I got to give a hundred thousand dollars. No, twenty million. You can't be serious. I mean, come on. You think I'm nuts? Psychologically, this is the way our brains work. If I got 20 million bucks, I got to shell out 2 million. That's crazy. It's easier for poor people to sow bountifully. Just think of the, think of the widow. She put in one penny. That was everything she had. She gave 100%. Jesus says the other people only gave out of their abundance, but she gave more than them all. Her heart. Uh, Human minds are strange things. And by the way, some of us are stranger than others, in case you haven't discovered that yet. Human minds are strange things. Well, this passage I guess the bottom line for this passage is that no matter how much you have Paul is telling us that if we sow liberally in proportion to our means we will be able to reap liberally now the point is this well you know that comes from somewhere that's a connecting phrase the point is this the first five verses of this have to do with money Paul is taking up in verse 1 a collection for the saints in Jerusalem they were having a hard time they were under persecution and Paul's idea was let's collect money from all over the empire and focus it in Jerusalem to help the mother church. That's great. So let's just keep on with the passage. The point is this, verse 6, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. He who sows generously will also reap generously. Primary context is financial. Each one, verse 7, must do as he has made up his mind, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. 
And God is able, verse 8, and God is able to provide you with every blessing in abundance. Oh, man, receiving abundantly. That must have been where you got the title for this series. Yeah, God is able to bless us abundantly so that you may always have enough of everything and may provide an abundance for every good work. Now, I'm going to read that one from the New English Version because it's just a little clearer because there's something interesting here. God has made, this is verse 8 in the New English, excuse me, New International Version. God is able to make all grace abound in you. That's the Greek word is grace. Not just blessing every grace, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. God wants to bless us, not only with what we need, but with enough that we can share with others and pass his grace on. You see, this business of sowing, is a continuous thing. There's three things here. Number one, we sow. Number two, God blesses. Number three, we sow some more. It's a lifetime process. Verse 10, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your resources and increase the harvest of your righteousness doesn't mean you're earning your way to salvation. It means that our characters are transformed by how we relate to money. I think, I think Brother Potter, I think his idea comes in here. Selfishness and generosity. Our character is developed by how we relate to the material things that God has blessed us with. So we don't just reap We don't just reap abundantly material things, but God is transforming us as we let his grace flow through us. Let's go on to verse 11. You will be enriched in every way for great generosity which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. I tell you, it not only affects us, it affects those around us. When I'm generous to you, it affects your character. You want to say thank you. (laughs) And you've got a generous spirit. We live in a community, not only in the church, but in our local town. God wants to make us a transforming blessing and how we relate to eggs and onions influences not only my character but those around me. Verse 12, for the rendering of this service not only supplies the wants of the saints but also overflows in many thanksgivings to God. Under the test of this service, you will glorify God by your obedience and knowledge in the gospel of Christ. Well, what's the uh, 
giving a few eggs away, what's that got to do with the gospel? And we'll get there. And by the generosity of your contribution for them and all for all others, will they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God in you. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. We're dealing in this business of giving. We're dealing with who God is. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. God wants us to be like him. For God so loved. That's the reason I give. Because God loved me first. My giving, my life, whether it's giving to other people or whatever, my life is a response to that love that gave everything to me. That's what Paul can say. This whole business of reaping and sowing is really the gospel or closely related to it. Now let's go to Galatians. Galatians, the sixth chapter. Sixth chapter, page 1171 in your pew Bible. 1171, verse 7, do not be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever a man sows that he will also reap. Now, it's got the same basic idea, but it's teaching two different things. In Galatians, I mean in Corinthians, it's how much you sowed. Those who sow generously will reap generously. Here, it's what you sow. I mean, you can sow all kinds of things. And the the way this starts out is not to be played around with. Do not be deceived. Do not be deluded. Whatever you sow, that you also reap. And beyond that, God is not mocked. Don't treat God's principles with contempt. That's to mock him. Well, what it's really saying is don't play games with God. Take him seriously. Now, Wishing at the time of the harvest will not change what you've sown. It's the sowing that determines the harvest, not whining and crying because you didn't end up with what you wanted. That's basically what Paul is saying. Yep. And once again, it's got to do with financial issues. In part, it's always in part because finances are not disconnected from the rest of our life. They're very close. How we handle them really expresses who we are. Do not be deceived. Oh, that, yeah, verse 6. 
deals with finances. And then you get to verse 7, do not be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever a man sows, that will he also reap. For he who sows to his own flesh, well, from that, once again, uh, NIV is sinful nature, or flesh. He who sows of his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, or better translation, destruction. But he who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Two different harvests, two different sowings. Now, if you're familiar with the book of Galatians, this choice of words, spirit and flesh, takes you right back up to verses 19 and on, where it deals with the works of the flesh. Fornication, impurity, this is verse 19 of chapter 5. Licentiousness, idolatry, sorcery, that's, we, we can sow this kind of stuff. and reap destruction. That's what Paul is saying. Or down here in um, verse 22, you can reap, we can sow according to the Spirit. Love, joy, peace. I'll tell you right, right now, I can influence my day by being joyful to you. And you know what? If I'm joyful, you'll probably be joyful, or at least be tilted more that way. If I come in utterly depressed, the chip on my shoulder, I can make you look like me. Pretty good lessons for how to live a marriage here too, isn't it? Whatever we sow, that shall we reap. I think I've told you before, my, in fact, I mentioned this, uh, your uh, psych teacher. We did some counseling with him, Bonnie and I were going to get married. First question he asks is, what is your payback technique? Got us, caught me completely off guard. I didn't know I had a payback technique. And I certainly didn't think my precious bride did. But you know what? After 27 years of marriage, we discovered we have payback techniques. We know how to make people suffer. And if you sow suffering, I'll just leave it in the marriage, you will reap suffering. If you sow fighting, you will reap fighting. If you sow love, you can reap love. And also, you know, it's very normal that, you know, if you smoke two cartons of cigarettes every week, you're probably not going to have good lungs by the time you're 75 or 55 or 65. No, no, in all areas of our life, not just the financial area, this sowing and reaping business, that's the come I'm trying to tell you. It's easier to deal with onions. It doesn't get you tangled up in your personal life or your financial life, you know? Just stick with onions and you get the lesson. As soon as you get your hand in somebody's pocket, aye, 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 you know. 
Yeah, let's just finish off this passage because I got one more I want to finish with. Do not be deceived, verse 7 of chapter 6. God is not mocked by whatever a man sows, that he shall also reap. For he who sows to his own flesh will reap from the flesh destruction or corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary in well-doing. For in due season we shall reap if we do not lose, lose heart. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people. One last passage. Luke, the 12th chapter, page 1043. Page 1043 in your pew Bibles. Pretty graphic little parable. Let's see, verse uh, 15. And he, that is Jesus, said to them, Take heed. Beware of all covetousness, for a man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Now, this is a countercultural statement. Jesus is a radical. Nearly all human beings, I'll just say in North America, but I think it's true everywhere, their life is aimed at getting things. Yeah, and getting things by themselves is not bad. It's not what life is all about. Jesus says, a man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he tells us a little story. And he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man brought forth plentifully. Ah, good. He's already got that first abundance. Yeah. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build larger ones. And I will store all my grain and my goods and I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. So here we have a practical application of um, sowing and reaping. And this guy did pretty good, huh? I mean, he had more than he needed. He had more than he needed in his barns. Talk about getting an abundant blessing. I mean, wow. Now, there's two things you want to note about this parable. Number one, this man, the rich man, never saw beyond himself. Did you catch that? The rich man in this parable, the parable of the rich fool, 
never saw beyond himself. Did you see how many times he said I and my? That was his universe. That was his universe. I, my, reminds me of the story of Edith. Her world was rather limited. It was bordered by Edith to the south, Edith to the east, Edith, Edith to the west, and Edith to the north. Her little self-centered world. One thing that the rich man was not tempted to do, according to the parable, was saying, how can I help other people? How can I share what I have to make this a better place? That was beyond his repertoire. His repertoire was building himself more barns, even though he couldn't possibly use all that he had already. Can only eat so much, you know. But barns are status symbols. Not in our culture. Well, it depends if you live in the Midwest, where I spent 32 years. Yeah, having a big barn, that's really important. Yeah, I'm going to build me a barn. And after that, I'll build me another barn. Yeah, I'll have more barns than all of my neighbors. That'll be good, huh? So the first thing that stands out in this parable is he never saw beyond himself. He sowed to himself. The second thing that stands out, he never saw beyond life in this world. I don't know if you've got this figured out yet. There's only one true democracy or socialism. It's the democracy of the tombstone. We all get one. There's not very many things that make us totally equal. lesson of the tombstone. So this guy, he just didn't have it put together for anything but himself. Now, you know, we live in kind of a strange world. Oh, I think it's strange. We got people... They got so much money that they're willing to pay millions of dollars to go into space for 30 minutes or less. Well, must be sowing something. Uh, do you ever wonder about a culture that pays millions and sometimes even tens of millions of dollars for a person to kick a ball around? But puts public school teachers on almost a starvation wage? 
They just have the future generation, the form. That was the devil. That's the way I'd create the world. Tens of millions of dollars for people to kick a ball around. Starvation wages. Keep good talent away from shaping the coming generation. You can go on and on and on. You ever think it's strange that some people's pets have more medical, expensive medical care than most of the world's population? This capitalism gone wacko. But don't raise their taxes. How will they build another barn? I mean, go to space twice or whatever. It's me and mine. Keep your dirty hands off of it. Yeah, strange world. Strange world. Now I want you to know I don't spend my life hanging around billionaires and the Hollywood types, but I've known a few. I think of one billionaire. I've been to his house more than once. Seems to be a nice enough guy. I don't want to judge the man. But I did notice that he had not a two-car garage. He had 13. I don't know what was in all of them, but I checked the first two, and they had Jaguars. And that was just the tip of the conspicuous wealth. Yeah. You know, there's an economic law. I learned it in a course some years ago. The point of diminishing returns. You have only one shirt that's valuable. If you have two shirts, you can wash one while you're wearing the other. You got 10 shirts, yeah, good, you probably need them. You got 1,000 shirts, how many Jaguars can I drive for crying out loud? I'm thinking of another one. This guy really had money. <laughs> so he's got me in the basement and showing me his collection of Stutz Bearcats. I don't know how many have seen a Stutz Bearcat. I saw one sold yesterday for $594,000. Racing sports car, built from 1912 to 1934. Won nearly every race they got in. This guy had six of them. Beautiful condition. That was just part of his car collection in his basement. My basement can't even hold six Stutz Bearcats. And, and that was just the beginning. I mean, I went through his entire house. He had real wealth. And then there was his yacht which I was privileged to cruise upon, the size of a naval destroyer with full-time crew. But he was poor next to his neighbor across the pond. 
John Wayne's little boat was the size of a carrier, I mean a cruiser. Massive beast of a thing. I'm positive that my friend felt relatively poor next to John. Wealth. What is its meaning? What is its meaning? Why? Bigger and bigger barns. More and more stuff. We do not live in a poor world. Not even those who belong to this congregation, although you might feel poor because you don't even have one Stutz bear cat. I imagine you'll survive. Two ways to relate to sowing and reaping. One is the approach of bigger and better barns. The other is to utilize what God has given us in blessing. That, that doesn't mean he doesn't want us to have nice things. But he wants us to take some of that abundance and help other people. To take some of that abundance and make this world a better place to live. That's part of what it's all about. In the Anglo-American tradition you know, the, about the colonial period, many people worked until they had enough wealth and then they basically went into public service, often for free, to contribute back to the culture. I think of Joseph Bates, who was really the primary founder of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. As a sea captain, he'd amassed enough wealth in his late 30s that he could retire and do good things for other people, to be of service to them. That, that's, that's, that, that's sowing. Yeah. I think of the, I think with some of the lawyers that I've met in my classrooms, some of the physicians, I'm not saying this is their only route they could have taken, but certainly some did choose this. They had it all they needed. Their investments were good, their 401ks and their IRAs were full. Mid to late life, came to the seminary. Some of them wanted to actually be ministers. Others wanted to be more intelligent lay people. No, no, no. They, not just more and more the same, the same. Like I said, that's only one way. God leaves it up to us how we're going to sow what he has given us and what that means in our own lives. But we have a wonderful example. In fact, we have two examples on how we can sow for the rest of our lives so that we might be in line for the right 
harvest. First of those is God the Father. John 3.16 is probably the favorite of more people, favorite verse, verse than probably anybody else's. God so loved the world that he gave, gave, gave his only begotten son that we might not perish but have everlasting life. That was an investment. That was sowing. And guess what? There will be a harvest. And then there's Jesus. Though he was Philippians, the second chapter, though he was equal with God, chose to be a servant and come down here and die, not just any death, but the death of the cross that we might be in that great eschatological end time harvest. So, there's two ways to sow. So we can bear, build bigger barns or so we can make a better world. But the bottom line is that whatever we sow, we will reap. That's the iron law of onion growing. It's also the iron law of God's world. He does not force us ever. He just gives us a choice between bigger barns and a better world. May God bless each of us as we sow and look forward to the reaping. Shall we pray? Our Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, for who you are, for what you have done. And Lord, we thank you that we have choices that you are giving us the opportunity to enter into your character and into your work. Thank you now, in Jesus' name, amen.